You are listening to episode 252 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we completely tank today's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So tanking today in several matters, um, tank controls plus just tanking in general at this game that we played, uh, Tomb Raider 3 on the PlayStation 1. So adventures of Laura Croft. Yeah, it wasn't... And by adventures, we mean the very, very short-lived adventures of Laura Croft. Yeah, the uh, short-lived spike traps and uh, not being able to touch a rope because you've moved forward two steps too much. Yeah, it's. we'll talk about more here in a bit. Uh, but of course, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com. You can also find us on social media at Game Deflators on Twitter or X at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. You can also find us on the podcast app you're listening to right now, as well as YouTube. Uh, leave us a five-star review. Greatly appreciate it, but we'll uh, also take 10 stars. Please. Please. Okay, pickups. Uh, I picked up Magic Cards because that's what I've been picking up recently. Um, I just have, I really just haven't had my eye on any games in particular, mm-hmm. uh, except Mario Wonder. I told you it's going to be a day one. It is going to be a day one. And Target is actually doing uh, their giveaways, a shadow box of Mario, actually, Mario Wonder. So I'm going to pick it up at, you know, Target and get the shadow box, hopefully, uh, and add that to the collection. And my wife's already excited about it. Nice. You know, we, for us, you know, with the, with the baby and everything, it's kind of tough to, like, sit back and play games on a consistent basis. So if we can have a chance where it's like a couple hours that we have together at night before we start falling asleep, uh, Mario Wonder is definitely a game where we can just quickly pick it up, play some levels. If we start falling asleep, we save, we move on to the next day, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, versus we've been trying to play Last of Us, and that one is like, you know, you get into a rhythm with it or you die several times. And if you die a number of times, you just don't get past where you need to get past. And then you just kind of rinse and repeat, right? So um, that's that's the reason for that and why we're transitioning to that game. But as far as currently playing is concerned, I did play some more White Knight Chronicles this week. I got past the full-blown underbelly of greed, and then I got past the, um, there's like a, a cave that you go to as well. Uh, so I got past all of that, got a new dragon armor type deal for one of my characters, and uh, beat one of the evil bads. And that was kind of it. Um, and now we're on to like, we went to the main city and where we were supposed to meet up with somebody and they said, nope, you got to go to this particular plane where it's like literally an open plane or field. And uh, you got to go there and defeat all these monsters, which coincidentally have all leveled up in the however long period of time since you've been there. So defeating that part, but I looked at the uh, the guide in terms of like levels. I the game doesn't need a guide. It's actually fairly straightforward, linear, and easy um, as far as where you have to go. Like even so much, and I mentioned this in the past. There's literally a star on the map that says you go here. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. So um, pretty straightforward, and uh, yeah. So I think uh, I'm 50 percent of the way through now after beating those last few areas, which is good. Um, I will hopefully get there by end of year. Yeah, that is, that hopefully, hopefully, right. Uh, and then what else? Uh, playing, I played Magic Gathering this weekend. I've been playing arenas, of course. 
uh, with the new Eldraine set that came out. There's a lot of cool red cards that were added. I like the Eldraine set. Oh, dude, it's so badass. Like, I, I, when we first played that night, I was like, mm, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. But, like, the more I've kind of played with some of those cards, like, it's just really cool mechanics. Um, there's a lot of fun lot artwork. Of yeah, a lot of mechanics. A lot of fun artwork as well uh, in that. I like the whole, like, fairy tales. It's almost kind of like Magic's take on, like, the Shrek world. Yeah. Well, and so, and Disney, too, on that. So, like, I don't know if you saw, like, the Ashiok card that was released. Uh, but, basically, it's the Planeswalker, but they Disney-fied it. So, it kind of looks like the stained glass style, like, Sleeping Beauty or um, whoever the... I don't remember who the name, main villain is in Sleeping Beauty, the dragon lady. Maleficent. Uh, Maleficent, yeah. So... Um, it has like that Maleficent stained glass vibe to it, which is pretty cool, actually. And you'd figure because of the horns, it makes sense, right, to go that route. Um, but yeah, I picked up some of those cards recently as well. So in the in the tournament I attended on Friday, I uh, placed third. So the only deck that beat me out of the matches was uh, Mono Black, and that made sense because I was playing Mono Green Poison, and it requires creatures to be on the field to hit. And if my opponent has, I don't know, 8 to 12 kill cards and stuff going through and Liliana Vivales, I'm going to lose yeah. pretty pretty handily. So I beat the guy in like one round or one game, and then the next one he beat me by just killing everything. And then the next one I literally just could not draw mana to save my life. Uh, so ended up losing that. But then the next two were fairly straightforward. Um, I pissed off both of the other players that I played. Uh, they just... Could not stand the fact that they were dying to poison. Uh, and with poison, you hit 10 counters and your opponent loses. But everything I had was like, if this creature's targeted at any point, if it's targeted or another creature's targeted, your opponent gets a poison counter. So I was like, in a way, comboing off. So I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to, they would say, all right, I'm going to target your creature to kill it. I say, it's one target. I'm going to give it hexproof. That's two targets. Okay, well, I'm going to target that creature. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and target it. That's another, you know, like within one turn, I was dropping five poison counters on people uh, when it went well. And so, yeah, it, it pissed them off pretty pretty handily, actually. Even if they're like sideboarding when they brought in what they needed to do, they're like, oh, yeah, this will handle your poison, no problem. And I killed it. Mm -hmm. and it was great. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself in those last two matches. Got third place, got 10 bucks store credit, uh, and then a promo card of some sort. So I just have the 10 bucks store credit sitting there. And I think every time I play now, I'm just going to let that rack up. Um, I figured by now I'd have $40 in store credit if I would have just like let it sit mm -hmm. instead of buying packs. So I think what I'll do is get to a point where I'm at, hopefully I keep winning and I get to a point where I'm at like, you know, 80 bucks or so. I could just say, give me X amount of packs and then just like crack them open. Like that's what I'm thinking or buy singles, one of the two. So uh, that's pretty much it for me, dude. Nice. Yeah. I like what you have on pickups. Yeah. So it's been a, a little bit and Starfield has come out and everybody has talked about Starfield except for me. So now you all get to hear me talk about Starfield, even though you're probably all much further in the game than I am and have already seen everybody's reviews and what they have to say. Well, now it's time for Ryan's take. I played probably like 16 hours or so. I Jesus. think I'm like... Seriously? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I got a couple of really good uh, big play sessions in early and then uh, just a little bit here and there since, but like hardly at all in this last like week or so. Um, I like it, but it's definitely different. So for anybody who's 
uninitiated with Starfield. Um, it's another Bethesda game, but it does kind of change the Bethesda formula in a way that I've heard a lot of people talk about, but distinctly kind of pulls me away from it in certain ways. So like in Fallout or Skyrim or any of that, you know, you've got, okay, the moment where you step out and it's like, oh, this whole world for me to inhabit and explore and run around. Well, in Starfield, you know, not trying to specifically just hate on that, like stepping out moment and how it's not as good as in other games, but literally you don't have that ability to just be like, okay, it's me and the world and where do I need to go? All right, I'm running there. In Starfield, it is fast travel the game. You are just navigating menus and going places. Like, there's hardly a reason to have to run around unless you just need to go to a store or you're trying to side quest or deliberately, like, explore around. And from what I've encountered so far, I haven't had a whole lot of need for that. So, for example, you'll be at the Lodge, which is, like, your main hub on, like, the big first city you get to. If you want to go to the other side of the galaxy, you just stay at the hub. Just open your menu, go to your mission select, and then choose the mission you want, and then hit X, and it'll just chart your star map. You don't even have to leave the lodge, go to your ship, take off of the planet, fly out of orbit, none of that. You just hit that boom, and you're just like right where you need to go. But you have the option to fly out of orbit and do all that stuff, right, if you wanted to? Uh, so, I mean... If you wanted to go the long way, what you would do would be run back to your ship, get in your ship, take off, go into orbit, and then when you're in orbit, then plot that same, like, jump to this and other star string system. there, basically, right? Yeah. That's interesting because it's very different in, like, the Fallout games where you kind of have to be able to, like, fast travel somewhere. You typically have to visit that area first. You know, and then, okay, cool. Like, I got to it. It's on my map. Now I know I can ping it and fast travel wherever I, I mean, want. So there's a difference between, like, fast travel and that. Like, I'm pretty sure I could fast travel to the lodge because I've been to the lodge. But if I want to go to a new planet, like, I'm not going to be able to fast travel to exactly the spot on the planet. But I'll be able to fast travel to I've landed on the planet from gotcha. standing in a, a living room. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And I want to say even with, like, Fallout, if you had, like, a mission that said you need to go to a certain place, you still had to, like, travel to X place, at least in Fallout 3. I don't. Yeah, no, before. I mean, you'd have to, like, wander over to the area. So it's like, if I'm going to a new planet that I haven't been to before. But if you have a task, it sounds like you can go, though, right? You can fast travel immediately. No, like, I'll fast travel to, like, the landing pad on the planet. Mm. And then I have to run from that landing pad to wherever the mission okay, is and that do sense. that stuff. But it's just there's so little reason if you're in a place that you've already been. Like, you don't even have to go back to your ship. Like, you can just travel from your menu wherever you are and bypass all of that part. I guess it kind of makes sense because when you figure the fast travel component being able to go pad to pad and all that, that makes sense to me in a way because if you think about space travel and how long it would take to go planet to planet typically, if you're to try and get that, like, go into orbit and go travel through space and do all of that, like, that would take so long, you would have to have hyperspeed in a sense. Well, I mean, the the game isn't even built for that. So, like, if you're, you have to menu to land on a planet. Mm -hmm. If you, there was somebody who tried to fly to a planet and they just left it on overnight, you just fly through it. It's just a, it's just a JPEG. 
yeah. floating in space. It oh. doesn't have any wow. collision or anything. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's a little disappointing in some of those ways. Like, I like to feel like I'm lost in the world and just, like, having to menu everything all the time is just not super great. Um, I'm yeah. trying to get used to, like, the loot system because there's so much stuff that you could pick up, but it hardly seems like very little of it is worth it. And, you know, that's not really a huge component of the game, but a lot of the big component of those games is like, okay, you've, you're always dealing with like over encumbrance and like what's worth taking and looting and stuff. Um, I like the space combat. I did have to upgrade my ship finally because I was just on this mission where there was a whole bunch of space fighting that I needed to do. And one of the missions was just like the last leg of it was too hard. Um, I did set my difficulty on hard because I felt like normal, just nothing was really happening. So I needed to bump it up. The shooting feels pretty good, and I hear that that gets even better once you start to get better weapons. There's a ton of different ammos that you have to have. So like you're constantly trying to bounce around guns because you'll run out of ammo on your guns pretty good. Uh, I haven't really gotten too deep into the like companions. Uh, I've been mostly doing main story quests and haven't really done a whole lot of side stuff. I know that there's supposed to be some pretty good side stuff, but all the ones that I have done so far have been pretty, pretty light, pretty just kind of like, yeah, just go do this thing. And it's like, okay, I just had to walk like a block, talk to a guy and then come back. So you've played No Man's Sky, right? Um, I played like 20 minutes of it. It started me off on an ice planet and I froze to death because I didn't know what to do. And then I never went back to it. But you've seen videos and stuff like yeah, that, yeah. obviously. So I, I would, obviously it's a different question now, but like if you, if you had to choose between one of those two, because they're both planet exploration based, you're supposed to have like, I wouldn't say unlimited in Starfield, but there's tons and tons of things to experience and explore. If you had to choose between No Man's Sky and a Starfield, which one are you kind of rolling with, do you think? I mean, I think they're different enough that it's not really one-to-one, -one, but I would probably still pick Starfield just because it has more direction. Like, the whole thing with No Man's Sky is that you, like, you're trying to get to the center of the universe, and you can do a lot of the same, like, building up, like, a homestead and, um, you know, mining minerals and upgrading your components and trading for, like, better ship parts. But in No Man's Sky, the goal is to get to the center of the universe. And then once you get there, you start you back on the edge and you got to get back to the center of the universe again. Like it just kind of happens over and over. But Starfield is definitely like a Bethesda game where there's like a storyline and factions to deal with and like, you know, light stealth and stealing. And it's Fallout in space. Basically. Yeah, it's Fallout in space. It's got yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like the guns seem pretty cool. It's got like a very similar like kind of upgrade and add modifications and stuff on your weapons. Like. There's I'm very, very shallow into this game right now. Like there's yeah. so much more in this game to do. And obviously we all know who is talking right now. It's me. This game is not going to be finished. I've never finished. Well, no, that's not true. I did beat Fallout 3. Yeah, Fallout 3 is super short. And I beat New Vegas. Yeah, those are short games. And though. I beat Skyrim. Well, all of those games, if well, Skyrim you can literally beat in 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, so anyways, like, but th this game is probably long enough that I may never actually finish it. I, especially because I think uh, I think if we're going by the rules of summer, I think the autumnal equinox is almost upon us. I think I have like a week left to beat the darkness. Yeah, you got to beat the darkness. That was your summer games challenge. I think the twenty first are... is the end of summer. 
You got four days. <laughs> so I need to beat it by the next time we podcast. Yeah, basically. So next, uh, technically, because uh, we're recording on Thursday, I think that is the 21st, if I'm correct. So yeah, you, you have no until, promises. You, no, you have to beat it. I beat your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hat and time. I, I demolished that immediately. I think I played it within a week. Yeah. I was like, Ryan, that's my challenge. Cool. Next podcast episode. I beat it. We're done. Yeah. So I need to do that. Um, and then you got Pikmin. And Pikmin. Yeah. So, and so, anyways, that's Starfield. It's pretty good. It's definitely fair when people gave it a seven. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was something for people to like lose their minds over and be like, how dare you? Well, you know, you kind of pointed out, uh, you know, the planet thing, right? Like, oh, it's like a JPEG in space and it's very menu heavy and like, yeah, there's some exploration or it's a good story. But to me, it's like just listening to you talk about it and seeing some of the reviews and videos on it. What is groundbreaking about it other than being fallout in space like what what is in this game that has never been done before what is something that is deserving of like nine and tens i mean the there's a lot of stuff in the game that is really good and it is that like next evolution of like a fallout game but it's not like it's not like how breath of the wild was a zelda game but then it took like zelda to, to the next stage like this is much more reserved than that. Like it's still very much fallout in space and they added a lot and there's a bunch of stuff that I haven't seen. So it's not really fair to like fully judge everything yet, but there, yeah, there isn't anything there that I'm like, but see the mass majority of reviews that I've seen have been people have said, Hey, the game's really good, but like it takes a long time to get into it as yeah. well. So, I mean, you could be, hour 24 it might pick up to where you're like man this game's badass it depends on how much like story stuff you've done and how like far in like i've heard a lot of people say you need to get like 12 hours in or so and so i got past that point and i was definitely kind of like you know a little mid on it and then i upgraded my ship a little bit and i did a couple more things and i was like okay this is this is probably something that i could get into a loop of doing but I've talked to other people that are like, oh, yeah, I've gotten like six of the artifacts and I'm like yeah. way further in. And it's like, OK, well, you must be definitely running with it more than I am. I definitely was excited for this game and I'm feeling the reservations that other people have felt about it. And I totally get where that point of view comes from. Yeah. OK. So you're around a seven out of ten roughly on this I, I in, in the ex first experiences or first impressions you've had. Yeah, I think it definitely takes a while to get into. So if you're picking it up and you're expecting to just like in fallout or skyrim or something like that to just like do this little you know 30 minute tutorial section and then just be able to jump in and do whatever you want yeah no you should probably mainline the story for like about 10 hours mm -hmm. and then at that point kind of maybe start to do some of your own things makes sense um what's this next piece here that i see uh, the next piece is the One Piece. Aha, uh -huh, there we go. I nice started reading One Piece again because oh, I finished God. the uh, live action a couple of weeks ago after that came out. And I I finished Big Mom arc. And I am now at the Reverie. So I haven't made too much progress. But uh, spoiler alert for One Piece, like chapters like 870 to 900. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, I didn't even know that it was going to be allowed to end that way. I was like so sure there would need to be a big showdown. And I didn't even think that they had the opportunity to just run away. Oh, you're talking like Big Mom and, yeah. and Luffy? Yeah, I mean... I mean, Sanji defeated her with flavor. That was good. Yeah, that was good. Uh, what's what's his name? The um, the son. Katakuri? Yeah, Katakuri. That was a badass battle. That was That was cool. a crazy fight. Yeah. There's some things that I've been talking to Zach about. And I feel like there's a lot that happened in Big Mom that was probably better in the anime than in the manga. Just because you got a little bit more context. But then I also know he told me that like... The fight with Katakuri was like 12 episodes or something crazy. Well, it's not so much that it's like 12 episodes straight. It's the fact that they bounce between so many different things going on. And and they do that in, in the Wano arc a lot, too, in the battle that he's in where it's like, okay, cool. Like, Luffy's fighting this part of a battle. And, like, the battle that I'm watching right now in Wano arc has been like 25, 30 episodes. And it hasn't just been like... Oh, only Luffy's fighting. It's like, well, they what always is, have the where yeah. are all of the different people yeah, in the yeah. castle map yeah, at the beginning of every chapter in the manga. Yeah, exactly. And so if like a whole cake island, all that, it's just like, okay, what's Sanji doing? What's Zoro yeah. doing? What's Nami doing at this time? What's happening with Jinbei? Uh, oh, let's go back to Luffy for like literally two minutes yeah. of battle and then back to Sanji. So it's kind of crazy in that respect. But um, yeah, you get a lot of context in the, uh, in the anime, which is great. I obviously for the manga, I only read the manga from like the last like three or four chapters of the Wano arc. No, it was more than that. It's about 15 chapters of Wano arc. You just read. read up until the point where you were literally caught up on everything and you had nothing else you could consume. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, okay, cool. Like I think I, st- I read the manga up to after Wano arc and when they start final arc, because technically they're on the final arc now. Um, it's been several months though, so I'm sure like a number of chat. Actually, it's more than that. It's been like six months since that. So that's what like twelve chapters, maybe, roughly, that have been released since I stopped reading I the manga. Don't I don't remember, but it's been a while since I read that. But yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, that was one of my favorite. Like the end of that arc was one of my favorites. Like that Katakuri battle was like badass because he really starts to find more of himself. Yeah, you know, and and his abilities. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm within spitting distance of the end. I've got like 200 chapters or so that I need to get through. Yeah. I, I guess maybe like 250. Well, so I'll, reading you'll get there faster than watching the anime. Yeah, definitely. If I just keep plugging through it, I'll get through it. So hopefully we'll be able to chat a little more One Piece as we go. But now that you and I have both finished the live action, let's uh, do our discussion on that today. So yeah. I am hoping that... There has maybe been some change, but I know how you love to disappoint me, John. So why don't you just tell us whether I need to be mad at you or whether we agree? We agree. We agree. We agree right off the bat. Okay. I, I love that, dude. It was good yes. stuff. Yes. Um, what did Angela think? Yeah, right? That, that's a first. Let's mark this. Game Players <laughs> episode podcast or whatever, episode two, 252, John and Ryan agree. Like, we'll, <laughs> we'll title it that. Um no, dude, it was great. Like, so obviously I have my reservations on certain things, which everybody does, yeah. right? Like there's certain elements like, uh, what's his name? The butler. I always forget his name. The cat. Kuro. Kyra, yeah, Kuro. Um, like his speed stuff, right? Like I don't remember them doing that so much in the anime. Yeah, the, he was yeah. like crazy fast. And it was like, I was trying to go back and like, it was really high the on the two, Google right? thing. It was like 
Does Kuro have hockey? Yeah. Well, so it turns out it's not hockey and it's not devil fruit. Like I knew he didn't have devil fruit powers, but it's no, something else. No, what's the thing that the... I don't uh, remember. I, I the re- animal guys use that's like their weird like... I don't remember offhand. Not quite hockey. Yeah, it's something that allows him to go super fast. Yeah. But they say that he isn't fully trained in it either. Yeah, so he like, just kind of naturally tapped into it. Yeah, so that was interesting. Like the the thing with like Zoro going into the well, that was kind of like off kilter, um, little things like that. I wasn't a big fan of how they didn't necessarily do like the big battle, right? They had like a few of them in the yeah. building. And like that part of the anime and, and the manga is very much like there's a full-blown, like, pirates coming on. They've got this whole big battle happening. Like, I think they could have done that and been okay. Um, And then the other thing that I'm not a huge fan of is uh, bringing in Garp so early on and having, like, Kobe's story going on at the same exact time. Like, that to me is a little bit It was a little weird. It's a little weird because it definitely detracts from the anime manga completely because, like... There's going to be a lot of stuff that they're going to have to change. Yeah. I... I get the the Garp thing is probably my biggest, like, it seemed a little unnecessary, but they handled it, I guess, as best as they could for whatever reason they decided to do that. I kind of do like them using Kobe as, like, our, you know, audience stand-in character that needs things explained and has kind of, like... His introduction to the world is our introduction to a lot of the world. Yeah, that makes sense. Like that that's good because it makes it so that Luffy is less that like oblivious for the sake of being a main character kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And he gets to kind of just be Luffy the whole time. Yeah, for sure. Um I think Arlong, I it was interesting. I, I get why they did this. Why Arlong goes to the Baratier and he does the initial battle there instead of having uh, instead, Krieg. Well, yeah. So I that like part, the Krieg intro though. How yeah, they that, just did it as that little off piece when they introduced Mihawk. Yeah, because that's exactly what happened, and they ended up making their way there, and a Mihawk kind of finishes things off, or, or Luffy does in a sense. But so that made sense of Krieg. The Arlong piece I understand because what are you supposed to do in a live action when you're condensed in episodes to where you know, oh, Nami's taking a ship and she's gone off. And now what are you going to do? You're going to have an episode of where maybe 10 minutes they travel to go to the yeah. uh, the islands. So, like, that's, I, that made sense why they brought Arlong in and then brought him back. It was interesting. It was like a club atmosphere, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the battle was a little odd, too. It felt a little short to me to Arlong battle. But... I was happy they did Nami story justice, and that's the one good. Yeah. Thing. That's like the one big thing they've done. Uh, and Oda, I think, was like, "This has to be exactly as it is." And I don't know if you heard, but like one of Zoro's scenes, they actually had to go back to South Africa to shoot it. Like they were done. He watched oh, it. Oh, he and made was, him reshoot a bunch. of He stuff. was like, yeah. "No, nope, I don't like it. You got to go back." And they literally sent everybody back to South Africa to record. Um, but like all of the introductions, to, like the character backgrounds, have been like so spot good. on they've been so good so like that to me is one thing i'm happy about and then i really understand why they're condensing things and doing what they've had to do with certain characters um i do think buggy is still pretty funny overall he's one of my favorites in the anime the way they extended so, buggy's introduction here yeah i think is going to be good because again spoiler stuff for future one piece things like at that point in the anime Amaga, yeah, he's gone. You have no idea that Buggy is ever going to be seen again or become like such a core character of the story. Like he's like one of like 
the three biggest main side characters mm-hmm. that reoccur throughout the whole show. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you and the extension of him being in the show, like it kind of caught me off guard at first, but then as I remember, I'm like, well, he does have like a huge part in this show moving forward. So it was a hundred chapters. Or so. I thought it was like 85 or something. I think it was like somewhere between like 90 and 100 chapters, but rounding up 100 chapters that they had to adapt into this first season. So my hopes would be that in order to do like entering the Grand Line and uh, Chopper and probably doing all of Alabasta, like I would hope that they would get more than 10 episodes. For season two. They're like, supposed to get 10 or 12 is what I read. And they've obviously been approved for season two, which is great. They got to do Logtown, though. So I know I saw some reviews that, oh, they skipped Logtown. I'm like, no, they They, they showed didn't. Smoker at the end. Exactly. So, like, Smoker has been shown. So you're definitely going to get some sort of Logtown type of – and you have to have Logtown. Yeah. Because there's a whole uh, – spoiler, I guess, for other people. It's like Zoro gets one of his major swords there. There's a side character that's introduced there for Zoro. Smoker's introduced. You also have um, uh, Luffy's dad that's introduced at that point as well. Somewhat. We, we see Dragon? Yeah. Dragon. You see Dragon there. Oh. You don't remember? No, dude. I mean, that, that's so, the thing. Like, I watched the first 300 episodes. That's true. And you took a break. Like, and that was back. back when I lived at the house with Mel so, Brad. That's, that's a while ago. It's like eight years ago. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, when Smoker is chasing down Luffy and or escaping Logtown and storms are coming, all this other stuff, Dragon is spotted, like, up top, like, watching everything go down. And then at some point, he actually grabs Smoker's arm and tells him no, essentially. Oh, wow. And then Luffy gets to go. So that's when you... you... We got to have Laboon and the whole, like, reverse mountain. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they'll do Laboon to an extent. They got to do Laboon. They will. It's it's... the best backstory with Brooke. That's true. They, They should do it, but I don't know how much they'll do. The dragon piece will definitely have to do it, and Luffy obviously... The lightning bolts coming down where Gold Roger... Like, all of that stuff has to happen, so... Um, I think they'll obviously do Logtown. Reverse Mountain will be pretty quick to do that. Um, Laboon will probably be pretty quick as well. They probably won't go to the full extent of that story. And then, like you said, Chopper, Alabasta. Um, They've already introduced the Baroque Works. I don't know that they'll necessarily go to, like, the island of Baroque Works. But you still kind of have to have that piece tied in, too, because there's a major character tied to Alabasta. So, When are the Giants? uh, The Giants are after Baroque works and yeah so you have the baroque works and then they escape and then they go to the giants islands where they were hanging out with the giants and then at that point you have like number two i think or number three to wax one yeah uh yeah mr three or number three or whatever um yeah he's introduced and several other characters baroque works are introduced and then after that point they begin making their way to alabasta so uh, or no, sorry, they make their way to um, Chopper and then Alabasta mm. after that. So if I'm getting the order correct, but it's close enough. It's right? been a while. It's been a while since I watched that. It's uh, been about a year, actually, so I'm not as up to date. And everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I am with names. I forget yeah. everybody's name outside of like, main characters. But long story short, even though it's already a long story, uh, I liked it. I thought it was great. I um, can't wait for the second season. Uh, I'm all caught up on the anime right now so that's been great too um i will say when you catch up in the manga do do yourself a favor and watch the wano arc yeah the anime like just straight up watch it versus reading it i think you'll thoroughly enjoy it more than reading because maybe i'll wind up doing both i i read it and i was like 
okay, like it's good to read it, but I'm still watching anime because like the artwork is phenomenal, yeah. dude. Like in these, the Wano arc like took it to a whole nother level in terms of battle sequences and artwork and and everything else happening. Awesome. So I highly suggest it. I have one more question because I've seen. Uh... If anybody out there listens to Mother's Basement on YouTube, uh, I'm firmly in Jeff's camp with this. I think we need to have Muppet Chopper. <laughs> I I don't know. I feel about that. They're going to CGI it, obviously, um, or like mild CGI. But I don't know. Maybe they get him into a hair suit like uh, um, what's his face. And I missed Star Hachi. Wars. I see why they didn't put Hachi in because all his arms would be expensive. But, like, no Hachi, like, that's going to be something they're going to have to retro later on at Fishman yeah. Island. Gum Gum Gatling actually turned out okay. That was good. It wasn't too bad. But, yeah, I could see Hachi in all of those arms and a lot of that Fishman. I, I like how they took – so, basically, there's, for people that don't know, um, in Arlong's Park, it's basically like a – not a port, but like a giant – yeah, I guess it's kind of like a port in a sense – um, where it's like a brick wall, and then you have Arlong Park, and then you have ocean. Like that. Oh, and the cow. They didn't have the cow. Mm. That sucks. The sea cow thing. Um, but like during that battle, there's a whole sequence where Luffy gets like his head stuck underwater, and or his body stuck underwater, and he stretches his head back up, and like Zoro's fighting, everybody's fighting. Like they obviously can't fit all that stuff in, but it was interesting that they had a swimming pool instead. And I'm like, you're literally on the Konomi Islands. Like, why do you need... And you're fishmen. Yeah. Why do you need a swimming pool? Like, it made zero sense to me why they did that. But I was like, all right, whatever. Like, it worked out. Uh, all right. Enough One Piece. Let's go into our other discussions here. Uh, first one is Unity's Self-Combustion Engine. And uh, this one is by... I should have expanded this one. It looks like Brendan Sinclair at Games Industry Biz. So, basically, the Unity Engine is a platform that predominantly is used for the development of indie games and uh, not just indie games all kinds of different well, games it yes. started off kind of that way but now it's a major yeah. player yeah it is um but predominantly it is indie still actually i have a lot of indie titles big indie titles i mean when we say indie we're not talking like just one dollar games we're talking larger indie organizations doing it but are still technically indie um so they basically put in, and this is a short story, they basically put in some new uh, policies in place uh, in terms of revenue where any sort of games that are um, downloaded uh, that use Unity Engine are going to incur some sort of fee. So if you are making, if you've made $200,000 and had 200 plus thousand plus downloads, uh, if you're a small-time developer, you end up getting charged 20 cents per download, essentially. If you are a company like Netflix, Apple, and uh, Steam, Microsoft, Sony, etc., where you upload games digitally, essentially. Where you're the host. Yeah, where you're the host. Whatever downloads that are coming through from there, they get like a penny per download, essentially, that comes from that. Uh, they have things in place, from what I was reading, where it gets sort of like bad actor scenarios. So, like... Ryan can't sit there, create some sort of bot to download, undownload, download, undownload, and keep doing it to be able to, you know, force a company. So to they get say. Paid. So they say, but they don't know for sure. So that's kind of a general gist of it. What is pissing people off or really pissing off developers predominantly are the smaller developers where they're releasing like $1 games and those $1 games are getting downloaded. And you figure if a game gets 200,000 downloads, right, and you're an indie developer, you're now going to get charged on your $1 game every time it's downloaded, $0.20. Cents. On top of that, 
you have Steam or you have Apple, you've got Google Play Store, all these organizations that where you're uploading your game are also going to charge you a fee. So you're and your publisher and your publisher, and so it gets to a point where you're not really making any money, and in fact, probably losing money on the game. So. What is this in turn going to do? It's going to raise the price of gaming for all consumers because the dollar's got to get passed somewhere, right? So unless Unity reverses this process that they've put in place, it's going to hit our pockets, essentially. Um, but a lot of indie developers have started to back out. Um, there are indie devs that have pretty much said, we're done with Unity. We're moving off the platform. We're going elsewhere. Uh, and they'll develop through other means. And you know what? The good thing about this is you'll have some other smaller organization that's like a Unity um, that, you know, is... Godot is the one I've seen people throwing around right now. And something like that will rise up and that'll be your competition. Guess what Unity will have to do? They'll have to either back off, reduce their rates, or, you know, suffer the consequences overall. Yeah. So the other big thing that uh, people are pointing out is what are Microsoft, Nintendo, and so on going to do? Because they could technically say, well, then we're just not going to host Unity games and you're not going to get any revenue for us. Did you make this game on uh, Unity? Sorry, no Game Pass for you. Yeah, no Game Pass for you on that. Oh, by the way, so the developer, well, that sucks. They're not going to get their game on there. They're not going to make any money. You're not going to make any money. We're not going to pay any money. So really, if Nintendo and Sony and all these organizations kind of fight back, which it's highly likely they will, this could just fizzle out and become nothing anyways. Yeah, I mean, this is another example of a you know leading company that has done a lot. And this article, there's a ton of articles out there, and I've read several. Um, but this one on game industry, he really goes into a lot of depths on some high-level concept stuff that I haven't seen addressed in a whole lot of other places. Well, there's FAQs in there, too, that like straight up says, like, this is what people are interpreting this is what it should be or what you should interpret it as. Yeah. Or, and you know, there's a lot of corporate doublespeak too, because they do cite and hear a lot of things that unity themselves has said in the past. And now they're deliberately contradicting with these moves and announcements, by the way, these moves and announcements they made without consulting anybody. So they didn't go and have a talk with like all of the leading, you know, studios using their, um, engine as a base for their game like there's companies that have been in development for years and have not released their game and they're on the precipice of doing it and now all of a sudden they're staring down a whole change of service terms and conditions that they did not sign up for years ago when they started well and here's the other thing they've retroactively implemented it too so if you had a game that was previously developed on unity engine and it's now being hosted somewhere they're going to start getting the revenue that's coming from those downloads as well so you could be an indie developer who has a dollar game or $2 game, whatever it is out there in the market, it randomly becomes super popular. People are downloading the hell out of it now. And that revenue that you could have had, which realistically should not be retroactive because it was it should be grandfathered in, um, you're now paying on that, yeah. right? Cult of the Lamb uh, developer has already said, uh, we'll probably just kill this game at the end of the year before this process goes into place. Yeah. So... I mean, there is a huge shakeup that's going to go down here. I was talking to a friend of mine who used to work in like gaming stuff, like he went to school for games and knows people in the industry. But like he was saying, and a lot of people are saying that this is just going to kill Unity. Like nobody moving forward will choose to use Unity for a project. And I think that it's a lot of big you know, headline reactions in the last week and they have not really responded in a way to where, you know, they've made a decision. They've kind of 
tried to walk back a little bit and try to ex- re-explain a few things. But for the most part, you know, people today like to just throw out big changes like what we got with like D&D and their, you know, open license. Like, and then they wound up just walking it back, walking it back. Because if you throw out big claims and you look like the villain... Then you turn yourself into the hero by adding concessions and, and walking it back and hope people forget about how bad you were trying to screw them. Yeah, this this is a big screw up because, I mean, this isn't like the D&D thing was we're implementing rules, we're doing X, Y, Z. Like they said, we're going to be doing this, right? It didn't necessarily, I mean, it affected people from a revenue standpoint, but not like this. I mean, this is like we're straight up going to charge you X amount of dollars and we're going to start doing it today type of thing. So, I mean, you're playing with people's livelihood at that end. D&D was a little yeah. bit different. Um, this is actually, I think, a little more extreme. So we'll see what happens with this. I'm definitely um, going to keep an eye on this one and, and see how things progress. I mean, things could, by the time this episode comes out, things could have already progressed to where this is old news. You know, yeah. you know these things move quickly. One um, of the, uh, the biggest things that he outlies in here that a lot of other places that I've read haven't really touched on is this was basically a deliberate strategy like they've been operating at a huge deficit i think they're like a two billion dollar deficit or something it said Jeez. for like putting themselves in the hole in order to gain market share so that they are right now they have 70 percent of the market share so about 70 percent of games being made are being made with unity to a loss for unity and now unity is deciding that they're going to turn around and cash in all of that you know, market share for money by just flipping on a switch. And so I kind of, I did take a screenshot of like my favorite paragraph from this article. So let me just quote him out on that first. Uh, so first you make yourself essential to the market, even if it costs you billions to get there. Then once you hit a threshold, let's say, I don't know, 70% of the market, you lean into the inshitification process. You charge more for your services, give your customers worse terms, and you turn the heat up slowly and continuously, confident in the knowledge that people are so locked into your business and have so few viable alternatives that they may grumble, but they will ultimately put up with it. And this is essentially the games industry all over because of these CEOs that are more interested in adding just being a CEO of the company to their resume and getting a big paycheck because for them, they would be happy to be CEO anywhere. And this is a former EA CEO bringing his shitty business mindset and just trying to screw as many people as he can for the bottom line. And here's what's crazy. If so, the way they've kind of conducted business in the past is that there's like a certain amount of money that they get for development and such. Right. Um, If they would have just been up front and just said, Hey, Every download, it's a half penny, right, for Microsoft, Sony, whatever it is, or a quarter of a penny. And, and that's actually, like, there's companies that do those terms, uh, if you're wondering. And then you have, for the developers, it could say, hey, it's going to be five cents per download, right? If you begin to slowly increase that over time and increase your market share, that's very viable. That's a very viable option to do that. And it's not going to come to some big surprise when you're going from, like, Hey, due to inflation and these other things, our model is going to be instead of five cents, it's going to be 10 cents. And then a few years later, hey, instead of 10, it's going to be 15 and so on. And you don't piss people off because you're slowly increasing your pricing. While at the same time, you don't have any major competitors coming through because you're gaining market share, theoretically. So 
is very, I don't know, it's going to piss a lot of people off. It's going to be, for them, it'll probably be a quick, you know, we're going to make some quick dollars on this and maybe be profitable, but they're going to lose a lot of business most likely yeah. in, the, in the process here. But let's, uh, let's dive into our next thing. And this is uh, Nintendo Direct of September 2023. Everything that was announced, we're not going to go over every single thing announced, but uh, Taylor Lyles at IGN uh, is this one. I will just, I know what you're excited about. I'm just yes. going to call out real quick uh, my things. Um, Mario versus Donkey Kong remake, I think is pretty cool. Uh, the F-Zero 99, interesting. Uh, it's like a giant battle royale with F-Zero. I was actually fairly interested in the Princess Peach Showtime game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that or heard about that one before. Uh, Screw Team Raider. Um, <laughs> Luigi's Mansion 2 uh, HD is coming out. Uh, let's see. What else did I have that I liked? Uh, Trombone Champ. That, I don't know why, but that caught my attention. But the one that really caught my attention, dude, Dave the Diver. Oh, that one's really popular. Yeah, I had never heard of that one. I'm like, holy crap, this looks badass. So I, I don't know why, but it's just one that I need to look at. Saga Emerald Beyond was another one I looked at that it piqued my interest because of a Saga series. But then I saw the gameplay and it was like, nah, not for me. I thought Unicorn Overlord would have been up your alley. Yeah, Unicorn Overlord actually looks like it is more up my alley. Ayudan Chronicle 100 Heroes. I've actually got that on. I kickstarted back that one. So I've been waiting for a long time for that. Uh, and that was the big stuff for me on that. Uh, everything at this show was okay. It wasn't the best Nintendo Direct that I've ever seen. But the fact that they are remaking Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door is all anybody cares about. So, uh, yeah, it was the best show ever. And Nintendo is great. And we forgive all of their sins because this is what everybody wants. We want more of this. Well, so the Thousand Year Door is a good one primarily because that game is like $150 on GameCube right now. So, wait, is... Yeah, Thousand Year Doors GameCube. So, um, yeah, it's like 150 bucks for that game right now, complete nice. in box. So that'll go down, I would imagine, a little bit in price, and it gets people's hands on a classic title, you know, at a reduced rate. And Six- hopefully leads to more traditional Paper Mario moving forward, less Origami King yeah, and Sticker Star. But this is, um, this is a really good, you know, direct setting up for kind of the end of the Switch's lifestyle. Like, there was a lot of stuff on there that they showed that is... I mean, a lot of indie stuff and, like, you know, the final booster course uh, pass for Mario Kart 8. So anything giant that hasn't been announced yet likely is going to wind up being at least cross-gen with the Switch 2. So we're probably not going to see, you know, Metroid Prime 4 until we see the Switch 2, I would imagine. But... Overall, I thought this was better. I mean, we had this, and our next thing we're going to talk about, the Sony uh, State of Play on the same day. And while neither of them really had anything that I was just like, you know, oh my God, best thing ever except outside of, you know, Thousand Year Door, I think that they did a lot better. I was more excited for, you know, some of this new uh, Switch stuff. Like, I have Luigi's Mansion Dark of the Moon for... DS, I think it's cool that they're you know going to have all of the Luigi's Mansions essentially on Switch now. I think that uh, Trace Memories game, I never played that for DS, but people say that that was pretty good. And the sequel that came out that never hit US, people are excited about that. Um, yeah, 
It was yeah. all right. Um, more yeah. Prince of Persia they showed off, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I guess Nintendo's making a museum. So next time you go back to Japan, you know, stop by the Nintendo Museum. Yep. Yeah, it's a Mario Kart 8 Detective Pikachu, the new one that's going to be coming out. Some Amiibo updates that came out. Like I can't the- believe they have they literally have Amiibo for every uh, Smash Ultimate character. That's crazy. But yeah, imagine collecting them all. Um. Gotta catch yes. them all. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> gotta buy them all. That's Nintendo, right? Or gotta, uh, what is it? Uh, scalp them all. Gotta scalp them <laughs> all. So, next thing here, and as you said, not as exciting. Uh, all the biggest announcements from PlayStation's new state of play. So, everything showcased in September. This is Michael McWhorter at uh, this is Polygon. So, I mean, super short list. So, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth release date. Uh, it's supposed to be coming out in uh, February 29 of 2024. Uh, Kate Sif, Vincent, those are big highlights you got there. Um, and then, of course, that collector's edition with the Sephiroth statue. Oh, man, that looked It's like $350. I know. It's more than a Switch. Yeah, it is more than a Switch. Uh, Marvel Spider-Man 2, uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake DLC was revealed. So that's pretty cool. I'm sure you were excited about that. Uh, Ta- Tales of Arise Beyond the Dawn, Helldivers 2, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, Baby Steps. That was the uh, which, worst way to open this show. And they you know, opened the show with the new Bennett Foddy game. Here's a crazy thing, though. So, Honkai Star, Rail Release, Foam Stars, I'm just finishing up, and then the new DualSense colors, right, along with the plates. So, for me, out of this whole thing, Final Fantasy VII was, of course, interesting because it's yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Baby Steps was the next best thing, I felt. Out of everything there, the only one I was like really like, you know, I'd probably play this, was Baby Steps. Well, I mean, you're going to play Spider-Man. Well, yeah, at some point. Spider-Man looked really good, but we've but like, already I've seen, seen so, so much. much. Yeah. yeah, we've already seen so much of that. Helldivers 2 is probably going to be a pretty good game, but I'm not that caring about it. I mean, I love Resident Evil 4, but I haven't even touched the remake, and... The fact that they released the separate ways as like a DLC again and didn't just make that a part of the initial release, I was kind of disappointed in anyways. So I think that there was just, I mean, I don't have a PlayStation at this point still. So I it's hard for me to get excited on things other than the fact that it's like, oh, by the time I get a PlayStation, I'll be able to buy this for cheap. Yeah. You know, that's the most excited I get. But it's just like, even the Final Fantasy Rebirth trailer, it's like, I don't know when I'm ever going to get around to that game. And I know people are losing their minds for it, but I just, I'm not that excited for it. Like, they showed him Cloud riding around on a Segway. I know that's not what the game's about, yeah. but, like, why have Cloud riding around on a Segway? Like, is that what we're here for? Oh, why not, Ryan? Right? <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just looking ahead on the calendar. I think we could probably play Foam Stars. They open beta September 29th, October 1st. I don't have a PlayStation. You're going to be here for that episode. Oh. It's several weeks from now. Foam Stars is, I mean, I've never even played Splatoon, really. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, we played Splatoon. But I mean, like. I've not really ever yeah, like, yeah, played yeah. it. It's more Splatoon. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, maybe in a few weeks, if we remember. You know, might not. Maybe uh, we'll check it out. Yeah, maybe we'll check that out because it's open People beta. have said that it is more than just Splatoon, yeah. so that might be unfair of me to criticize it in that way. But yeah, I mean, it pretty much looks like Splatoon. Uh, so nothing else really to say on PlayStation. I mean, it was yeah. overall it's a pretty boring, uh, you know, state of play. They had that 
you know, Final Fantasy and Spider-Man, which people are always going to be excited for. And if those weren't there and they were any other games, I really think nobody would have had much good no. to say about this show. No, exactly. All right, let's dive into our inflation deflation segment of the week, and that is going to be Tomb Raider Three: Adventures of Laura Croft, uh, stuck in India, yeah. which is what we were. Uh, this stuck was in India. inspired by the fact that they announced at the uh, direct that they're doing remake of one, one two, two, and three. three, and bundling those together. I've not really ever played Tomb Raider outside of just a demo that was on, I think, a demo disc I had for PS One. I played it years and years ago, Tomb Raider 1. Um, I was probably like 10 years old, maybe 11. and Too young for that. Too young. Yeah, those uh, pointy polygons. Uh, so, developed by Core Design. It was published by Eidos Interactive. Produced by Troy Horton. It was released in November of 1998. And actually, no, it's probably younger now I think about it when I played it. Um, it is an action-adventure game. Reception... Uh, I guess no surprise given the era and what was going on. Seven out of eight. Seven to eight. Seven to eight. Yeah, not seven out of eight. Because seven <laughs> out of eight, I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Who's here? rating on an eight star? <laughs> eight star rating. Did you pull up the synopsis on this one? You know, I didn't uh, because we didn't really get much context either. So it was very bizarre. The game opens up with like some people drilling in the Arctic or something. And it's almost a little bit comedic. And then for no reason at all, it cuts from them like yeah. unearthing like a Moa head to Laura Croft just standing there waiting for you to tank control your way into death. So Plod is a corporation called RX Tech excavates a crash site of a meteorite that impacted Antarctica millions of years ago and finds strange Rapa Nui-like statues alongside the grave of the HMS or one of the HMS Beagle sailors. Meanwhile, archaeologist adventure Laura Croft is searching for an artifact known as the Infada Stone in the ruins of an ancient Indian Hindu temple inhabited by the Infada tribe. And we uh, we never came across any sort of Infada tribe because, well, zip this lines. game is yeah, this game is yeah, zipline, ridiculous game. So critics on this game when it initially when it was initially released reception is good because it took a lot of it made the other games better essentially right like there was a lot of great things came from it graphically it was superior to the other games as well the big thing that people had against this game was it is insanely difficult and when i mean insanely difficult meaning there's a lot of things that well just will kill you spike traps and rivers that run rampant and you drown uh, saving is an absolute pain in the ass to where you have crystals to save. There's no option beyond saving from crystals, whereas the prior games, you could save whenever you want. So it, it really is a hard game, and Ryan and I got as far as essentially fix, figure out a puzzle to get beyond a spike trap type or spike wall, and then trying to hit a zip line, and we couldn't touch the zip line. Like, the controls are so hard with like the tank mode, and then the fact that if you just press forward, Laura takes like three steps forward. There was like it it's was like a cinematic impossible. game where like you move a set distance for every push of the button, and there's no way around it. It was yeah. super frustrating. Like yep. we went, no joke. It must have been like five tries before we were finally able to circumvent like the first like spike trap thing that's meant to kill you. We got around that. And then we just could not 
progress any further because all we literally had to do was walk up to a thing and hold a button. And it was just impossible. We must have tried another 10 times to just walk up to this ledge and hold the X button. And it was just not happening. Yeah. This to me is, and I know we got to end the episode here pretty soon, but like this to me actually probably makes the list of most hated games on this podcast. And we've done a lot of video games, a lot of bad games, a lot of bad games. This is on my, like literally my top three worst games of all time on this podcast. It's just so frustrating. And there just doesn't get like, eventually we got better at like learning that we could like, we were doing side jumps to be able to platform because we couldn't get Laura to just jump and grab a ledge. And I mean, some of that was our fault for not realizing if you just held X, she would just like, but not all climb ledges, up a thing. but not all ledges you could. That was yeah. the issue too. So like, yeah, it, it, absolute pain in the ass. The tank controls just make it even like, that's just the creme de la creme at that point. Like cherry on top makes it horrible with tank controls. So, um, you know, I get it. A lot of games like that have those types of controls. If this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, right, I'd probably look at this game and say, yeah, you know, seven out of eight. I could see that, right, with the graphics and, um, you know, it being Tomb Raider and, and where it had come from that point in time. Today, no way, dude. I'm curious how the remake yeah, or remaster. that's what I was be, right? just going to say. Are they going to keep the tank controls? Has anything been fixed up? Like, what's happening in that? So I want to see curious. them have – because this does have, like, you can – sweep back and forth between looking at the old visuals or looking at the new visuals. Mm -hmm. I like that. But yeah, I do want to see like an adapted modernized control scheme for this, or I want to see people struggle with the old controls and just nobody play it and it get bombed. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see remake will be coming out. Uh, I'm going to wait for reviews. I may buy it because my wife wants to play the originals. Um, she won't. She, she will. <laughs> but it depends on reviews. If the reviews are like, yeah, it's the same bad tank controls. And they're like, nah, screw this. Like, I'm not going to buy it. I'll just buy the original and have a terrible time for a cheaper price. Yeah. So getting down to brass tacks on this one. Uh, complete inbox, you're looking at 971. That peaked at 1379 back in November 2022. Uh, that one is trending down. Uh, we also have loose copy at 796. Uh, that peaked at 1043 back in May of 2023. Uh, I did not remember which way that one was trending, but we'll just call it holding. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so I couldn't find a digital price on console. Everything I was seeing was the pre-order for the new remakes. Now that that's come out, so It'll that'll be. $30 for the remaster collection when that comes out. At least it'll be, you know, a cheaper game that will be a collection of three titles. Like, I think it's a lot easier to swallow at that price. Yeah. But if you really want to trade this game just on its own, you can get it for $6.99 on Steam. Or just don't buy it at all and emulate it at this point. Like, I, I normally I'm not like just emulate, but yeah, just emulate. Yeah. Um, so for me, this is absolutely inflated. Yeah. I think it's a terrible game. Uh, I, I get the reception years ago, but it's just, it doesn't hold up it like Kingsley's adventure. I felt was a better game than this. Yeah, it was definitely. And that had like and irredeemable had tank. tank controls as well. Yes, exactly. So if I had to choose the two, I would choose Kingsley's. There's a lot that Laura has done for gaming over the years. And she has newer, modernized games. If you want to get into Laura Croft. And they are fantastic on the new ones. PS3, PS4, etc. Yeah. I would honestly recommend you go and watch like 
the Angelina Jolie movies rather than play the original <laughs> Tomb Raider games. And that says something. Yeah. All right. Don't know what we're doing next week. We never know. We'll figure it out. Um, but as always, good to have a fun chat on the podcast and, and review a terrible game. <laughs> That's always fun. But we're off to D&D right now. So you've been listening to episode uh, 252 of the Game Inflators podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.